Heavenly Father, we pray as we come to your word just now that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. And above all, what we are not, you would make us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, you may uh, remember, and uh, I won't be offended at all if you don't, but a few weeks ago I said that one of the things I love about Scripture, about God's Word, is its variety. In God's Word there are sayings, prophecy, history, songs, and so much more. God could have given us a book full of bullet points with everything we needed to know about Him, but instead he gave us something a lot more interesting and eclectic. And this means that God has inspired in the Bible the form as well as the content. How scripture is written as well as what scripture says. And often how it is written is really key to understanding what it means. I think we see this in our psalm. Just look at the way it begins and the way it ends. Can you see um, the similarity between verses 1 and 2 and verses 20 to 22? On seven occasions, David uses the word bless. Now, uh, bless is the kind of word that um, you hear a lot if you've been around church for more than two minutes. Um, It can mean all kinds of different things, kneel, adore, praise, but it's mainly a a worship word. And we began our, our service with a call to worship, didn't we? And this psalm begins and ends in the same way. And in between from kind of verses 2 to 19 are all kinds of reasons for blessing the Lord, all kinds of reasons for praising Him. And my prayer, as we look at this psalm um, at the beginning of this year, is that it will make us long to join David in blessing the Lord. Just two points this morning. First of all, the God we remember. The God we remember. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, I think we see that David, he doesn't begin by praising God. Instead, he begins by telling himself, to praise God. Can you see that? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Recently, a friend of mine shared something really helpful about this. Um, he, He pointed out that David's worship doesn't just kind of bubble up from inside him. David doesn't worship because he feels like it. And I find this really reassuring. Sometimes we think that the only worship God would be pleased with is spontaneous worship. Worship that just flows out of us, out of kind of heartfelt emotion. Now, and there are lots of examples of that in Scripture. And sometimes in our lives we have times when we just praise God so, so easily but often we don't feel like worshipping. Often we have to tell ourselves to worship. Maybe 
Uh, you're holier than me. Maybe you never feel that way. But if I waited until I felt like worshipping, I have to be honest and say I'd probably hardly worship at all. No, worship isn't just an expression of what is inside us. Instead, as Sam seems to be pointing out, worship is something that forms us, it changes us. It's a kind of habit as we do it. We're reminded of what's really true. David is a great example of this here. In these opening verses, he tells himself to worship. He thinks, he acts, and then his emotions follow. He doesn't just wait until he feels like it. No, it's bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he starts to recount all the benefits of belonging to him. Look at the different verbs he uses in in verses 3 to 5 to describe these benefits. God forgives. God heals. God redeems. God crowns. God satisfies. God renews. And each one of these speaks to the care that God shows to us as his people. And together they're a lovely picture of what it means to have God as our God. Let me pick out two of them. And first, one of the reasons David calls us to praise God is that God heals our diseases. Do you see that in verse 3? Maybe straight away we have all kinds of questions about this. Is this a promise that um, illness is always cured? Well, we can't take it that way, can we? We know from the rest of Scripture, from our own experience, that um, this is a fallen world and sometimes, often, God's people experience sickness that isn't cured. But I think what David is saying here is that when we are healed, it is ultimately God who does it. God is the one behind it. Now, God will often use means, won't he? Medicine, doctors, treatments. But he is the one who brings healing. God heals. Secondly, God crowns. Do you see that? God crowns you with steadfast love, verse 4, and mercy. The idea of God crowning us And it's a a lovely expression, isn't it? And it's only used a few times in the Old Testament. Um, In Psalm 8, it's used to describe the the dignity of human beings crowned with glory and honor. And in the Song of Songs in Isaiah, it speaks of um, a physical crown. And in Psalm 65, it is connected to the bounty that God gives in harvest. But here it's connected with God's covenant love and mercy. And to be a believer is to be a recipient of that. It is to be taken from a pit, verse 4, to a place of honor. To be a Christian is to be left stunned at God's grace. It's a wonderful hymn some of us uh, may know. We're going to sing it this evening. And it's based on this psalm, and it puts it like this, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? That's what it feels like to to be a Christian. 
And in verses 6 to 7, David reminds us that, that God has a track record of working like this, of being like this. He remembers God's work in history. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, verse 7, his acts to the people of Israel. What David's remembering here, of course, is uh, Moses receiving God's law and then leading God's people out of Egypt. And that event, the Exodus, that was the big event in um, Old Testament history. It was an event that um, the psalmists so often look back to. It's a bit like us looking back to the cross. A great uh, time of rescue. And it was proof to God's people of his covenant commitment to them. It was proof that he was the God of verse 8, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I don't know about you, I think and when we think about God, we, we often put those two phrases kind of the other way around, don't we? Uh, maybe deep down we imagine that, that God kind of abounds in anger and is slow to show us his love. But that is not what the text says, is it? Sometimes God does discipline his people. But he does not keep his anger forever, verse 9. He does not deal us or treat us according to our iniquities. And we need to remember that. We need to remind one another of that. That's in part why we come to church each week, isn't it? The whole idea of um, memory is really interesting. Um, Last year, Marianne and I uh, both read a very short book, called The Old King in His Exile. It was written by somebody called Arno Geiger, and it's a a really moving account of um, his relationship with his his dad as he struggles with Alzheimer's uh, and their whole relationship and the memory loss that, that he experienced. And as God's people, it's very easy for us to experience over time Um, even if we've been Christians for a long time, a kind of spiritual amnesia, spiritual forgetfulness, to forget all that God has done for us. And this was an ongoing issue for the Israelites. In passages like Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 8, they're told to to remember that they'd been rescued, that when they settled down, as God's people, they, they were to remember what God had done in, in saving them. This was one of the reasons why they were to celebrate every year festivals like the Passover. Now, memory is fascinating, as I said. But memory can also be selective, can't it? Um, in Numbers chapter 11, God's people look back. But they do so with uh, rose-tinted spectacles. They're bored of all the manna that God's given them, and they say this, they grumble. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, and also the cucumbers 
melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Um, I've never quite understood why they were so uh, keen to get back to cucumbers. As far as I'm concerned, cucumbers just taste like water. But uh, you and I can be like that, can't we? And maybe we look back in our lives to uh, a time when we think that things were easier. Or maybe sometimes, if we're really honest, we look back to our time before we became Christians and maybe secretly we, we pine for that time. But when we do that, we forget that it was a time of slavery, just like the Israelites forgot. And I think this psalm is a a real antidote to that type of thinking. It calls us to bless God for blessing us, to remember his goodness. I'm sure many of us um, look back at 2021 as we flick through our calendar and know that it was a year that was challenging, um, just like 2020. But the beginning of a new year is a, is a really good time to take stock, to pause, to, to give thanks, to develop uh, a discipline of gratitude. Maybe it means writing down one thing a day that we're thankful to God for. Or maybe uh, once a month or something like that, sitting down and and writing out all the things that uh, we're thankful to God for. It might be really small things. It might be things that we tend to take for granted. But doing that will will help us praise God. And each one of those things would, would be gifts from Him, the one who is slow to anger, one who abounds in steadfast love. That's the God we remember. The second thing we see in this psalm, and it's really in the second half, is the God who remembers us. The God who remembers us. The psalm is uh, 22 verses long. And I think I'm right in saying, I think I did my maths correctly, on 11 occasions the word LORD is used in in capital letters. And um, this is God's covenant name. And a key idea in the covenant was remembrance. At lots of different points throughout the Old Testament we read phrases like this, God remembered his covenant. You find it in Genesis and the story of Noah and the rainbow. You find it in Exodus as God says, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Now maybe you um, hear that and you find it strange. When, when we use the word remember, well, we tend to just mean, don't we, that we've had a kind of memory lapse and then we've remembered to do something. Since we've moved to Edinburgh, we have far more bins to remember to put out. I don't know what that says about the recycling policy of Edinburgh compared to Dundee, Edinburgh City Council, but modern life is just so full of things to forget, isn't it? But in Scripture, when we read that God remembers, it doesn't mean that he 
he's recovered from amnesia. No, it means that he acts in accordance with his word. God decides to, to keep doing something because of a previous promise. And what is the big promise in the Bible? I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what God says to us. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now when you think about it, we do this as well, don't we? I suppose marriage is the obvious example. And God's remembrance of us is one of the great comforts in scripture. So just look at this second half of the psalm with me and, and notice some of the things that God remembers as he remembers us. The first is that God remembers our need. And I think we see this in, in verses 11 and 12. And we mentioned uh, history a few moments ago. But here, David kind of gives us a geography lesson. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I don't know if any of the kids know how high the heavens are above the earth. Um, the non-scientific answer is very high. But what is the distance between east and west? Well, it's infinite, isn't it? Friends, God knows our need. He knows our deepest need. He knows our need for forgiveness. And how has he met that need? At the cross. We know for certain something that David only saw at a distance. God can remove our sin because Jesus has taken it away. God also remembers our weakness. He doesn't just remember our need, he remembers our weakness. Look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Uh, David's drawing a comparison here, isn't he? He tells us that, that God treats us with the kind of compassion that a good father treats uh, his children with. A good father knows that his children are weak. They, they know they can't do everything by themselves. And God, the psalmist says, is like that with us. One of my earliest memories is um, telling my dad, carry me. I think it was more like, carry me, something like that. And he did it. And God is like that with his children. So God remembers our need. God remembers our weakness. But he also remembers our end. Look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone. And lots of you know that um, 
I used to be a history teacher. And one thing you learn from reading history is that only a tiny number of people uh, make a mark on it. Uh, Most of us live very ordinary lives. As David puts it in verse 15, we are like grass. We're like flowers that just pass away. We don't tend to think that way when we're young, do we? Uh, I think this hit home to me a bit uh, last year, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 took place last year, didn't it? And I went to university in 2001. Um, I was only 17. It feels like yesterday. And more years have passed since that day than I had lived before it. Our lives are short. Our time is limited. All of us will die. And maybe you think, what a depressing thought to start a new year with. But, but remembering our mortality... Remembering our mortality is one of the keys to living wisely in this world, to live in denial of it, to pretend it's not coming for us. It's foolish. Steve Jobs of Apple fame, he understood something of this. In a famous address to the graduating class of Stanford in 2005, he said this, Remembering I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Death. That is not a topic you usually expect to hear at a graduation ceremony, is it? It's usually, you guys can change the world. But there was a lot of wisdom there, wasn't there? What he was doing was putting their lives in perspective. It was very like verse 15. And we need to remember today, at the turn of a new year, that death will come to us all. But do you see the beginning of verse 17? Even though that's true, even though there is a time to be born and a time to die, you and I can still have hope. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To put that in New Testament language, neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, our lives are very ordinary, aren't they? God, but God remembers us. As Christians, we are part of a covenant community. This means, as verse 18 puts it, that we are called to remember, there's our word again, remember to do his commandments. God's love will follow us all the days of our lives and carry us through death. But in the meantime, as those whom God has chosen, we are to live lives 
that honor him. We are called to obey God's word and follow our king. And yet our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in God's steadfast and everlasting love. A poet puts it this way. He says, if I forget, yet God remembers. If I forget, yet God remembers. If these hands of mine cease from their clinging... Yet hands divine hold me so firmly that I cannot fall. That is covenantish poetry. Is that a word? I think so. But do you see how powerful it is? Do you see what God's commitment to his covenant means? His remembering. It means that if you are trusting in Jesus today, then even if one day you grow old and you lose your memory, even if one day you can no longer even remember his name or remember anything about your Christian faith, then God will never forget you. God will still remember you. And how is that possible? How can it be? Well, it is possible because there is There is something that God has forgotten. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way, I will forgive their wickedness. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Friends, that is our hope this morning. That is our hope at the beginning of a new year. On the cross, Jesus, David's greater son, he took our sins on his shoulders. He took them away. He paid the penalty for us. None of us knows what lies ahead this year. But we can still have confidence. We can look back to the cross. This is the God we remember This is the God who remembers us. So bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together.